I want you to take this message in the right spirit. Because, you know, when God says there's more, uh, he really means there's more. There's uh, more to our walk with him, more to our experience with him, more to the blessings that he has for us. So when I say, surely there's more to <clears throat> for us than what we are currently experiencing, I am not saying we're missing it and we're not good enough. But surely we're here on this planet for more than we're currently experiencing. Surely there's more to our relationship with God than we're currently experiencing. Um, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where good enough is good enough until you get to heaven. Right? So there's always more, but it's, it's not that religious thing that we've got to get better, but there's always more. And you can't experience the more that God has for us by staying where we are and doing the same thing. Um, you, you just can't. You just, in the natural and in the spiritual, the more that God has for us means that there's adjustments, there's changes, there's steps um, that he will give us grace for so that we can walk into the more that he has for us. Before I get into a particular example from the Bible, there are three principles that it's always good for us to remember. These are principles. They, they operate all the time. They're, they're kingdom principles. One is God's kingdom is always advancing. It always advances. It's not necessarily, you know, going like a speeding train, but you know when a freight train goes through a, like a local town, it slows down. Well, at least in some towns. Um, and, and it's very, very powerful, but it goes pretty slow. Especially if you're in a car waiting for the train to go by. But the kingdom of God is a lot like that. It's a really, really strong force that sometimes does exci- you know, exciting things, but usually it's very powerful, very, very methodical, and it just keeps going. Scripture is really clear about this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And then it says, and forceful men and women, they lay a hold of it. If I did this one time, um, back when I lived in New Jersey, uh, there was this place where trains went by, and it would go by real slow, and me and my buddies, you know, we'd just go there and throw rocks at the trains, and isn't this fun? We are just idiots. And, uh, but one time I thought, wouldn't it be cool to grab a hold of the train and hop on? And really, it's going, I go, how hard could it be? So I went like this, this slow-moving yet powerful train almost ripped my arm off. I went boom, and I had to let go. So after a while, now it's a challenge. What we had to do is get ready, you know, get like that, and then we would grab a hold of that thing and just pull ourselves up. And we didn't stop the train at all, but we got on the train. And the kingdom of God, it's always moving forward. It's always advancing. It's always, if we're willing to lay a hold of it, it's always bringing us into the more that God has for us. Always. Always. The kingdom of God never goes backwards. The second one. 
God's kingdom is always purposeful. There was a scripture that um, Stu uh, gave from Philippians. This is like my, my life scripture. This is, it means so much to me personally, but I think it means a lot to all of us personally. Paul, who had a great pedigree, Paul, who had a great track record and a resume, he said, look, I haven't arrived yet. With all the great things and great testimonies that I had, I haven't ar- arrived yet. As a matter of fact, I press on to lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid a hold of me. And then he says a couple of verses later, he goes, <clears throat> and those of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not cutting on you know, Midwestern mentality, unless it needs to be cut, cut on. You know, but you know this thing about, well, don't try too hard, don't want too much, because you don't want to be too proud. Yeah, you betcha. Well, the, you know, and, but the thing is, you know, there's some wisdom to that. But when it comes to the kingdom, the yeah, you betcha is an unnecessary lid. God says there are things that we can lay a hold of. No matter where we are, there's always more. And a mark of maturity of genuine spiritual maturity, it's not settled for good enough, is to always just taking steps to experience the more we have. If you have a good marriage, how about a great marriage? If you have a fruitful ministry, how about an impactful reproductive ministry? There's so many things. I mean, even, well, yeah, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at Ben going, yeah, when's enough ever enough? It's never enough. And it's not because you're greedy. No, really, it's just something like, well, let's develop and make it grow and make it go viral. I mean, wouldn't that be great? That's how the kingdom is. And a mark of, the maturity of, of a mature Christian, not an old Christian, but a, a mark of genuine spiritual maturity is to want to grow, to ex- want to experience the more. Not, not all at once, because we'd blow up and die. But we just, little by little, experience the more. And the third thing is this. You know, when you think about the more in your future, you always take your understanding of who you are now and put it in the future. And that's where you, we usually get dis- discouraged. Let's say someone's really shy. They're really shy. And God says, you've got a great speaking gift. And then they look into that future and go, great, I'm going to be in front of 10,000 people. I'll get up and say nothing. I don't want that future. You know, we take How we understand ourselves, we take our limitations, we take our faults, we take all that sort of stuff and project it in the future. How many times you go, yeah, we have an okay marriage, we're not killing each other, but the idea of marriage enrichment, well, we tried that before, and if we take how we fight and bring it into the future, is this going to be a bigger fight, so I ain't going to do it. God's advancing kingdom always brings change. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What does this mean? When we start little by little laying a hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of us, taking necessary steps, guess what? We are going to change. There are things that we don't even know God wants us to give up or uh, to to get rid of. But as we go forward, it's like, hey, man, you can't be bitter and go forward. Okay, I'll forgive him. All right? Or, hey, you know something? You you, you can't have a better marriage and still, uh, you know, still, you know, 
play footsie with your, your secretary, you've got to cut that thing off. That, that as you go forward, you see the things, right? A lot of people live together, and they want God's best, but there comes a time. Comes a time. You really want God's best? Get married. There's just, you can't do that. And God's not ready to slap you down, but there's something about when you're a really kingdom, when you want to experience the more, the more, guess what? God will sort of take some things or say, get rid of that, or change this, and he'll replace it with something so much better. That's just the kingdom. Those are, those are three principles. And so as we go after the, the more, the whole process sort of changes us. And I think that's good, right? I, I, everybody wants to arrive and go, good, no more change, no more sanctification, no more challenges, no more giving this. No, and I'm telling you, there will come a time when you will experience that. Rejoice at that time because you're in heaven. Until there's always something. Until that time, there's always, it's not like there's always something bad, but there's always something to grow into. I want to illustrate this from certain parts of Israel's journey. You know, Scripture's really clear that we as New Testament believers are to learn from the stories in the Old Testament. Things to do and maybe things not to do. These are lessons that are designed to encourage us and equip us and even warn us so that we don't have to commit some of the mistakes that the, the, the people of Israel um, committed. And if, if there are things that the, you know, uh, the people of God did that God said, that's really great, it would be good for us to learn from them. So going to Israel is not undercutting what God wants to say to us today. You know the story. The people of um, uh, the, the Jews, they were held captive by Egypt. And there was nothing they could do to get out of their bondage. Nothing. They were utterly helpless. And then God raised up a deliverer. And the and, uh, deliverer, his name was Moses, and God was with him. And supernaturally, God delivered a whole people out of the hands of a very powerful nation. Supernaturally. God did not deliver the people uh, of Israel. He did not deliver those people just to get them out of captivity. Although that was a pretty good day at the office. The fact that they're no longer held captive, that's pretty good. They're no longer slaves. That's really good. But God actually said, I want to deliver you from these things so that I can bring you into a land of promise, into a more that is way more than anything you're going to, you've experienced in captivity. And the promises were such that they were way more than anything the people of God could experience in the desert. There was a land of promise. As God has a land of promise, had a land of promise for them, really, he has a land of promise for each and every one of us. Every family, every marriage, every, every person. He says, look, there's more. You may have been saved. You may have been delivered from darkness. You may have had all your for, uh, sins forgiven. And that's great. And you are a new creation. That's awesome. But I didn't just deliver you from those things so you could be delivered from those things. I delivered them, you from those things, so that you can live a life that's according to my plan, which is really a lot better than anything you can come up with. God delivered the people of God to bring them into a land of promise. 
milk and honey, something that they had never experienced. Along the way in the desert, God blessed them. It was incredible. I mean, pillar of fire. I think that's just cool. Or you're really hungry. Just all of a sudden, a whole bunch of birds drop. You know, and you're thirsty. Talk to a rock. I mean, he did stuff like that. And, and then, you know, your shoes wore out. Well, if you think your shoes are going to wear out, they didn't. A lot of, I heard some ladies going, I don't know if I like that part. So I went 40 years, same shoes, excuse me, right? But just provision after provision after provision, uh, many times that God would fight these incredible battles and defeat uh, um, the enemy, and it was just, just incredible. And the blessing of God was on these people, testimony after testimony. Um, to look at what God does, he loves us, we're the apple of his eye, all this sort of stuff, but it was all done in the desert. Don't ever confuse the blessings of God with achieving the destiny that God has for you. Don't don't do it. I mean, I want the blessings. But just because God's blessing me doesn't mean that I've arrived. It's just God's blessing me. Many times he blesses me, he rescues me, he improves me, he, 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 he does things for me that are just absolutely awesome. And he's doing it because he loves me. But he's also doing it so to give, us, give me what I need to go into the next season of my life. It's just an incredible thing. That's what he did with them. So they're going through the desert. God rescues them. But now they're starting to go, this land of promise. What's, all, what, what's up with that? Moses had been, done a really good job of leading until right near the end. And he just sort of got angry at the people of God. And he misrepresented God's heart. And so God says, you know, uh, you can see the land, but you're not going to go into it. Go get your replacement. So his replacement was really Joshua. And Joshua had spent many years in in the wings not waiting to be the replacement, but faithfully serving. And he faithfully served Moses. And then after a while, it was clear, hey, look, when when I'm done, Joshua, you're going to take over. But there came a time when it it was game time. It was time to turn the reins over. God takes Moses, and then we have Joshua. Joshua is at the tail end of the desert. Joshua was the leader that Moses, um, he was the leader of the people that Moses had given him. And then God meets Joshua this side of the promised land. They hadn't crossed over. And this is what he says. Let me find it. After the death of Moses the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. That's really interesting. This is, he, he, was, he was his servant. He was the guy who helped, you know, help, hold, hold up his hands. He knew Moses was dead. Why did God inform Joshua of something that he already knew? Because God was saying something just a little different than just informing He was basically saying, look, new day, new ways. That the way way of leading, the way of of going going forward that Moses led you in, you don't have to do it that way. You can take from Moses, but you don't have to imitate Moses. The way that Moses used to get you to the precipice of the promised land is not going to be the way 
for you to actually take the land. If you just notice, Joshua's ways of leading, very different than Moses. And, and God's given him a heads up. Moses is dead. You can learn from the boy. You can honor him. You can build on him, but you don't have to be quite like him. And there, there's a message in that, that some of the great ways that God has, ha, has helped us to get to where we are may not be the ways that God would want us to do in order to experience the more that we have. Sometimes we have to change our style to experience the new things. Imagine a good young man who does everything right and he pursues a woman in the right way and he you know, courting and all that sort of stuff and then he gets married and if all he does is court her after they get married, she's going to talk to him. She's going to say, excuse me about this garbage. Would you please take it out? And by the way, you know, just because you got... You know, I'm, I'm married, it doesn't mean that you stop being nice to me. And why don't we build a relationship? Why don't we plan? All these sorts of things. That the thing that got you to the place where she said yes, hopefully you didn't trick her, but it was like the, the way of dealing with her that got you to the place where you get married, I tell you, God's going to change how you do things so your marriage will grow. That's what God was telling Joshua. And then he goes, now, get ready to cross the, the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. It's really interesting. It's great to believe in the promises of God. It takes a lot of faith. Did you know it takes a lot of faith to actually get ready? God's going to prosper you, right? You're going to be able to give great advice on budgets, right? Now, get ready to experience that. How do you actually prepare for that? One would be to make sure you actually have a budget. There are th- you know, I mean, just you start going, okay, am I a mess and all? Uh, it takes a lot of faith to prepare for things that you have not yet experienced. Most of us just want, I'm just going to believe, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe. Boop, there it is. That's usually not how it goes. He goes, here's the promise. How much do you want it? How much do you really want the promises? How much do you really believe that I have a more for you? How much do you believe it enough to start getting ready for it, to make a- adjustments beforehand? And then watch what he does. He goes, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, of the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. What, what God's t- saying jo- um, to Joshua, Joshua, do you see the promise? Do you have some, you're not there yet? But I'm going to just briefly uh, describe what I'm about to give you. Vast territory, vast potential. I can't give you all the details because you probably wouldn't believe it. But son, do you see it? Do you see the promise? Many times God, when he's preparing us, he'll just say, now listen, your marriage may be a mess now or you're just in a resigned state, but you could just lift up your eyes and see what's possible. See what God can actually do. Maybe look at marriages that are a little farther down than where, where you're at. And do you see it? Do you see the potential? Do you see the more that could be um, um, for you? Do you see it? I'm telling you, you've got to see some things before you aim for them. You've got to have a sense of there is the more and start getting a peek at it. Say, God, What's the more? You don't want me just to survive. You know you want my finances better. What am I supposed to see? And God will give you a glimpse of the more. And then he says, 
No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was as with Moses, so I'll be with you. I'll not leave you or forsake you. And then he goes, be strong and courageous. He gives us assurance of, you know, see the more? Start walking it out, and you're going to win. You'll experience the promises, and you'll win. Anybody comes against you, they'll be defeated. Now, that would be exciting. Can you imagine having a devotion like that? God shows you, you know, your marriage, your family, your, your ministry th- things. You go, wow, that's great. Now, wow, I'm going to have victory. And just as you're about to leave your prayer closet, you hear God clear his throat. <clears throat> uh, just one more thing. Be strong and courageous. Wait a second. You just promised it. This is going to be a cakewalk. You promised it, right? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. I'm with you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Why would God command a proven veteran, a warrior who has faced death and challenges time and time? Why would, why would he say, oh, and by the way, be strong and courageous? Surely he wouldn't need that. What God was doing was not just giving him the promise, but giving him the, he was imparting strength and courage for the battles that will surely Come. Why? God may give you land. He may give you territory. And every place that you set your foot, He's going to give it to you. The, the problem is someone else is already living there right now. There's all, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to have a budget. But, you know, the enemy sort of controlled your budget. And you go, honey, let's have a budget. You get it. Everything's good. And just when you start tithing and get it going, both your cars just blow up spontaneously you just blow up. And you go, oh, right. Yeah. The enemy's sitting there going, go ahead, have a budget. Let's see. Yeah, and there's, often there's always a battle. Or, honey, let's learn how to pray together, right? We haven't prayed together. We pray. We're praying people. At least that's what we tell people. But let's pray together, right? Oh, Lord, da, da, da. And then the wife just goes, you are such a boring prayer. You just got this list. Why don't you just pray with some passion? All right, honey, you lead. And then, you know, she she starts praying, oh, God, you know. And he's sitting there going, honey, you don't have to give birth, right? I mean, there's all this. And it's like, oh, well, oh, oh, you think you're a better prayer? I think you're just backslidden. Honey, I think you're crazy. You don't even have to yell. God hears everything. You know, back and forth, back and forth. And there it is. And then you're sitting there going, but God said he was going to give us a joint prayer life, right? And, and, oh, that's right. He said, be strong and courageous. That's right. Because every place we set our foot, the enemy's occupied it. There will be some sort of battle. How much do you want the more that God has for you? How much do you really want knowing that there's going to be a little resistance, a little bit of pushback in some of the steps you're going to take? So that's what he did. And he's gotten them all ready. He imparts the, And then in Joshua chapter 3, it's almost ready for game time. Now, the title of this message is Setting Out from Shittim. I'll just be very transparent with you that the proper Hebrew pronunciation of this word is not Shittim. (laughs) But I'm not going to say the other one because everybody go, you swore in church, right? So there's this place called (coughs) Shittim. So I want you to see this. God has got everybody ready. Joshua's ready. All right. 
I, I don't have to mimic, I don't have to franchise the ways that have brought me. This. God, God, you're going to lead me into new ways of actually taking the land. I'm not just going to always be going toward the land. I'm going to start experiencing the promises. Check. I see it. Wow, this is awesome. Check. You're going to be with us. And so every place we set our foot, we're actually going to experience the promises. You're not dangling it out. Check. And there's going to be battles. And you're going to give us now the strength and courage we need to take the next steps. Check. They're ready to go. Now there's this place called Shatim. Let's say this is the Jordan River. And let's say this is a little town called Shatim. Not a whole, not, not a big distance from Shatim to, to the Jordan River. It's just funny every time I say Shatim. Anyway. And uh, that's where they camped. That the people of God gone through the desert, they got to a place and said, let's camp at Shatim. And uh, then this is what happened. Look, look at it in Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites they set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. This is a very interesting thing. Like, here they are, camped at Shittim. Here's the Jordan. And they just broke camp and just moved a little closer. You know, the way I'm wired, I'm going, if it's that close, why don't we just go? Let's just do it. But it's like, no, let's bring camp at Shittim and just get a little closer to the Jordan. When I, when I read this, it's just stuck out, namely because, well, shatim is not the, the kind of word you'd expect to see in the Bible. And I went, mm. But then I started digging around. What's the deal? Why did God put that in there? Why did God say, early in the morning, they set out from, uh, from shatim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over? What was the significance? I found out what it was. In Numbers 25... The people of God, they're going through the desert. You know, they're going through their, you know, just their, their journey. And they decided to camp at a place called Shatim when actually they should have kept moving. They stayed just a little longer than they should have. And what happened during their extended layover is that the enemy tricked the people of God to start intermarrying. And it wasn't so much it wasn't so much about shatim. It wasn't so much about just resting, because God gives us times of rest, times to plateau and things like that. But for these people, they actually should have kept on going, but they decided to camp. They decided to settle instead of taking steps to keep move, moving on, and that set them up for compromise. And one of the con- one of the consequences of the compromise was they had to spend a lot more time in the desert. That was just one of the con- uh, consequences. This idea of it's good to settle when God says settle. Uh, it's also good to, to keep moving when God says moving. If, if, we, if we settle when God wants us to keep moving, eventually there will be some sort of consequence. Not necessarily punishment and stuff like that, but something that we'd ra- rather not experience. When they came to Shatim, the people of Israel, they were a historical people. The people who had come to Shittim, they had not been to Shittim. But here they were, 
and they knew what this place signified. They go, oh, we're here at the place where our forefathers decided to settle instead of move on. And they spent more time. Man, I really don't like the desert and the promise. We haven't experienced it yet. Man, I'm not staying here. Shatim is not a good place to sit. This is not a safe place. But they were obedient people. They're sitting there going, look, this gives, you know, there's historical memories. There's spiritual significance to our being here. Have you ever noticed that you know, when you go through some things and you, you, know, you make poor choices and things like that, you experience um, you know, some sort of consequences, but then God just sort of in his wisdom brings you back to the same place and it's a, sort of like a retest. And you remember, the last time I was here, I made this choice. I think I, think I want to make a different choice this time. God is so redemptive, he'll sort of retest us in areas where we've, been, where we've failed or we haven't you know, made the right choice. It's just a, a fascinating, that's exactly what happened here. God in his wisdom, he's bringing them through the desert. He's you know, giving them victory. And he's, oh, let's camp at Shatim. One, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. The people go, oh my gosh, we are in Shatim. We're knee deep in Shatim. They realize that you really can't afford to camp when you should be moving on. And this is not just a one-shot deal. This is not just a, 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 a thing um, unique to Shatim. It's actually a theme throughout the Bible. When David was supposed to be fighting a war, but he decided to hang back and just coast, guess what? It set himself up for compromise. Terah. Terah, his job was to take Abram and his whole family into the promised land. And it was very exciting. And they're moving. It's going to be a long journey. But somewhere in there, Terah decided to sort of stay at a, you know, a Motel 6 at, at a place called Haran. And then he stopped there. Then he, then he settled there. And then he died there. It's just an amazing thing. Now, the people of God oftentimes have great promise, but there will be these challenges along the way. And you just go, should I keep moving or should I just sort of play it safe? Good enough is good enough. The way God has set this up, if he, if he really wants you to be moving forward, even just taking little baby steps, he'll, he'll, he'll give you chances and give opportunities. But eventually, he really, wants, he really wants to give us every opportunity to get the train out of the station to take steps out of our shatim and just start moving toward, not, not going into the promises, but get some momentum from where we are to, and, and get some momentum to bring us closer to experiencing the more that God has for us. I think there's a, a number of people within the sound of my voice who you got your own shatim. You're either standing in it, you're sitting in it, your, it's, it's what you're familiar with. And this is not condemnation. You know God loves you, forgives you, but he's a God of promise. And he's a, he's a God who knows exactly where you are, but he's also a God who will do whatever it takes to encourage you to go forward. God is, is saying, just take some practical steps from where you are to move from your shatim. It's not enough to believe that God's got a promise. 
not enough. Uh, and, and it may be overwhelming, all those things that God promised you. You go, I can't do all that. You're not supposed to. Just take steps out of your shatim. Just start moving. Start moving. And with each step, something happens. You change, and the promises become more attractive. The promises become more real. Just little step, little step, little step. And maybe you camp out still far from your promises, but look at the distance uh, uh, you've traveled, and shatim you realize is not your home. I don't belong there. That was a stopping place, but I, that is not, Shatim is not my home. A number of years ago, you know, I lived in Idaho, and my kids had never been to a beach. They'd never seen the ocean. How many of you have never been to an ocean beach? I mean, we're in the upper Midwest. Okay. Boy, you guys get around. You got frequent flyer miles. Anyway, here's the deal. Um, I knew I didn't want to take them to the Oregon coast because the Oregon coast, even though it looks real pretty, the water's always like really super cold. And what's the fun of that? Well, I'm talking to people who like to ice fish. Anyway. <laughs> but so we, we had this vacation. We, we came... You know, we visited you, and then we went to North Carolina, uh, where we eventually moved back. And um, we were in the Raleigh airport, uh, in a hotel in Raleigh, and uh, the kids are going, wow, this is a great hotel. When little kids, you know, you can, we're going to a hotel, and they go, great. When they get older, they go, and, you know, <laughs> the hotel, and. But anyways, they're really excited about the hotel. It was a nice hotel. I made sure it was I used my frequent flyer miles. It was a nice four-star hotel. It was really nice. They go, this is really nice. And they had a hot tub and all that. And the, the girls are going, can we just stay here for a few days? And I'm going, no, 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 we're going to go to the beach. Oh, I don't know if I want to go to the beach. I know there are there sharks there and all this? No, the beach is a lot better than the hotel. Trust me. Oh, but I don't know. If we really, I mean, really, you know how little girls can get. I don't know. I, li- I, like, I like this. This is like real comfortable shatim, you know. And so... Anyway, I go, no, we're going to, well, how far away is it? Well, from Raleigh, it's, it's going to be about four hours to where we're going. Four hours in a car, oh, whining, you know. And so for the first three and a half hours, we're, I'm just turning the music on loud just so I don't hear them, you know. And they're going, are you sure? Can't we go? Is there another hotel, right? That, like where they've been, is, is, because it was familiar, was more important to them than than, than, than what I'd promised them. So we're driving, and we got it within like, I, I would say about two, three miles. And, you know, it was hot, but I decided to, you know, open the windows. And they go, Dad, it's going to be too hot. But I knew what I was doing. Because when you get like a couple miles from the beach, you can smell it. You can smell the salt air. And you, and you, don't, you don't have to say, hey, kids, smell it. And all of a sudden they go, what's that? the beach. Where's the beach? I don't see it. I don't see it, right? They're expecting the awesome, boom, we fall into, no, but can you smell it? They go, no, and it was amazing. The, the rest of the ride, the smell got, and the anticipation, they had forgot how good that hotel was. They had forgot how miserable the ride was. They had decided, well, they didn't have much choice because I dragged them from their shatim to the promised land, and I'm going, hey, can you smell it? And they go, 
wow, that's like salt. And we had discussions of salt. How can fish live in salt water? They're different kind of fish. Are there a lot of fish? There's no sharks there. What kind of fish are there? And what kind of hotel are we going to have there? Oh, a much better one. We'll be able to see the ocean. Really? This is really great. And by the time we got into our promised land, they had completely forgotten that beautiful hotel. They had completely forgotten the challenges because they had because I dragged them, I dragged them into the more that they had not yet experienced. We're adults now. Nobody drags us. Nobody drags us. We get to choose whether or not we stay in our shatim or take steps toward the more. These little steps are actually courageous attacks against settling. You can believe and be frustrated and do all that sort of stuff, or you can believe enough to just take a step. And every time you take a step, it's just a little dink. It's a a little attack against that good enough is good enough, or I'll never get more than I'm currently experiencing. Every step forward is an attack against settling. Some of you are grieving, and there's times to grieve. There's times to hide. There's times where you grieve over what happened to you or what you did. There's times to grieve, but there's a time to go, okay, it's time to go out and buy a new outfit, get a new haircut, trim the beard. Of course, I'm talking to guys, I hope, right? (laughs) No, but I mean, it's like, hey, the grieving's over. I'm going to take a step out of my shatim. That what brought me here, but I'm not staying here. Or, you know, I've been in unforgiveness so much that I blame people so much for why I am. I think I'm going to start asking people to help me stop that nasty bad habit. Because when you're always blaming, you're always in unforgiveness, and oh, poor me, and you're a victim, guess what? You can get used to your own shatim. You can even decorate it and go, look at what a nice castle I have built in my own shatim. I'm getting away with this. Isn't it great? Choosing to forgive, not asking God to help you, but absolutely going, I will not stay here. I will forgive so I can move on. Your past. Look, some of us have great past. Some of us not so much. And they happened. But in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is very clear. Anybody who who sets their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit, is not fully equipped for works of service in the kingdom of God. There comes a time when you acknowledge, yeah, that happened to me. That is horrible. God, forgive me. I've been wounded. I'm moving forward. Or a lot of people go, I don't want to move forward. I just want to take the good old days and bring them into the future. Come on now. The The great good old days, they were good, but God always has something more something actually better. Why go backwards when the kingdom of God in your life is going forwards? How about excuses? I'm too young. I'm too damaged. I'm too hurt. I'm too misunderstood. I'm too old. Or I'm too religious. You know, I don't see any um, old people, and I don't see any dogs here. Therefore, everybody in the sound of my voice can learn a couple new tricks. Now, why, why should we take 
who we are, where we've been, and use those excuses as limitations to taking steps forward into the more that we have. If you've strayed from God, you stay strayed. It's just a horrible place to be, I know. But just start taking steps to come home, whatever that means. The prodigal did it. You better believe, oh, this is going to be hard. I smell like piggies and all these bad things. Will I be welcome? And boy, was that guy excited when the father went, welcome home. That's something he hadn't anticipated. And here's the last one. Every time you take a step forward, even if you don't know what it's going to look like, you are attacking faithlessness. Scripture tells us that Abram went without knowing where he was going. Sometimes we negotiate with God. God, I will go forward if you'll just tell me how it will all work out, what it will look like. And usually God goes, no. It's just better than what you have. Take a step forward. Be like Abram. Just take steps forward without negotiating. I'm telling you, with each step forward you take, the smell of the ocean gets stronger that the promises of God become more real. The challenges you go through become more and more worth it because those are challenges that transform you so that you can experience the fullness of God's life for you. Shatims are never our homes. They should be launching pads into places of increased blessing, increased effectiveness. Now, there's no altar call. You know, anybody have a shatim? Please drag your shatim up here. I mean, we could have a lot of fun with that. Here's all God's asking. If you have a place where you go, I know if I stay in this place, God may even bless me, but I will not experience the fullness of what he has for me. If I'm in this place and I know I've got to take a next step. And he, you may not even know what it is, but if, if that's you, when I pray, you say, God, tell me what the next step is. And whatever he puts on your heart, just do it. I mean, it's got to be God. You know, someone that you have to forgive, if you feel God tells you, go shoot them, that's not God, okay? Don't do that. So why don't we pray, all right? Holy Spirit, Thank you. Would you shine light on areas that if we stay where we're at, at the very least we'll be deeply dissatisfied or may just open us up to compromise. You are such a good father. You set us up for success. If, if we're in the middle of, of, of a very familiar place, if, if we have our own personal shatims, Lord, may we not be discouraged. May we see the promises, even a glimpse. May we smell the more that you have for us. May we receive your confidence, your strength and courage that you have for us, not to go all the way into the promises, but just to take decisive first steps out of Shatim toward the promises that you have for us. God, I ask that you give each and every one of us strength, and courage to attack the disposition to settle. That we would be people who would, little by little, take our land. Even in the face 
of the enemy, even in the face of our fears, even in the face of our doubts, we will just keep on taking steps forward, knowing that every step forward will transform us and every step forward will bring us closer to experiencing the fullness of the promises that you have for us. Amen.